Hey everyone, welcome to Flywheel Pod, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. We're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And Kit, we had a very special episode with uh, the founder of the Defiant. I think her reputation precedes her, honestly, uh, Camilla Russo. on, And it was just a very informative hour and a half. We really learned about the high standards that Defiant has in both their coverage and what they cover and why they cover it. Agreed, man. And I, you can just hear it. The Cami has such strong journalistic principles and values. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just so much respect, right? A lot, we see a lot of like, you know, influencer, influenza in the space that yeah. pretty much just says one thing and then turn right around and click on their ledgers and just dump on retail. Yeah. And it, it's, it's great to hear that she prides herself and her, the rest of her team too, right? So, yeah. you know, the Defiant will never front run you, which is, yeah. you know, And I think, you know, both with the Defiant and the Infinite Machine, her book, like she's mm-hmm. really has set a gold standard, like a really high bar for all the crypto media to follow, both whether they're traditional outlets or uh, influencers and commentators on Twitter. Yeah. And, and she even shared what it takes to be featured or, or actually written about on the Defiant. And it's just yeah. to be genuinely newsworthy. Newsworthy. Period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, we have a lot more of that in store. Uh, you know, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, hit that bell for all the notifications you need. Follow us on Twitter at FlywheelPod. If, uh, join our Telegram group at FlywheelPod. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. And you can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm very proud and honored to have uh, Camilla Russo on. Camilla is the founder of The Defiant, one of the leading crypto news platforms out there. Uh, She's the author of The Infinite Machine, which is, I think, the ultimate book about Ethereum. And I always say it's a required read for anybody that wants to get into crypto. You have to read The Infinite Machine. And she's a former reporter at Bloomberg, and she's just doing so much. So, Cami, thanks for coming on. Uh, Big fan and also proud contributor to The Defiant myself. That's right. Thanks so much, Dave. (laughs) It's great to be here. Um, And thanks for the really kind intro. Uh, Of course. Yeah, so, you know, I listened to your interview with David Hoffman in the past, um, which kind of gave, you know, an introduction to yourself. And I want to get into that briefly. So, I'm wondering, like, how did you go from being a mainstream reporter at Bloomberg and actually like wanting to start a crypto t- division there to act- to just starting your own platform itself? Yeah, so it was all um, pretty gradual, actually. So I was a Bloomberg news reporter for eight years. I covered all sorts of markets, equities, bonds, FX in New York, Buenos Aires and Madrid. Um, but, you know, I I wrote my first story on crypto in 2013 when I was in Argentina. And it was just this one one story. But um, since I was kind of living with inflation and currency controls myself when I was there, I kind of immediately saw the value of having an independent currency and was interested in crypto ever since uh, then. And so... 2017, I was in New York still with Bloomberg and crypto was blowing up and I took the opportunity of covering crypto on a more kind of daily basis. And, you know, as I was covering the space, it just seemed so interesting 
you know, so fascinating what was happening um, that, you know, like nothing could really compare to writing about crypto. So I just like didn't want to leave the space and, and just stayed. And um, and that's right. I, I did kind of propose to my managing editor that we should create a crypto team. I, of course, wanted to leave that team. They didn't think it was the right time. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, I was... Uh, thinking about writing a, a book and so i was pitching this book about ethereum that's you know 2017 and then 2018 i was writing the infinite machine and while at bloomberg and so it just like it it became clear that i like my interests were shifting towards crypto and also just wanting to be independent you know after eight years in the same place i just thought you know it's time to do something different so I left Bloomberg in January of 2019 to finish writing The Infinite Machine. And, you know, the original plan was to be a, a freelance writer writing about crypto tech, finance. Um, but then, you know, that changed when I came up with the idea of starting The Defiant. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. In 2017, you really saw the hope and promise of crypto in a time of ICOs and a lots of vaporwave. How did you see past all the vaporwave to see what Ethereum was truly about, which really came across in the infinite machine? Um, you know, I I saw that Ethereum was a platform that allowed developers to create many different applications. And it was clear to me that, you know, ICOs were one of many potential ways to use Ethereum. But that at, at its core, you know, Ethereum was providing this um, innovation for blockchain tech that hadn't been here before, which was the ability of of having this, you know, you know, programmable money, this baked in programmability into the base layer that Bitcoin didn't allow, and it was the first time that a blockchain was trying this. So that to me was pretty groundbreaking, and. And yeah, I thought, you know, sure, like ICOs are kind of the first kind of big breakaway application, but it won't be the last. Yeah, for sure. And I, it's funny, at the end of the infant machine, uh, you kind of hint at something called open finance, which ended up becoming DeFi. Um, I guess like when open finance started becoming a thing, like what were some things that you were noticing? And like, what at what point did open finance become DeFi? Because a lot of people don't know that open finance was a thing. And were you surprised by the name change? Yeah. Um, so yeah, at the time, like like both names were were like being discussed and and used interchangeably. Finally, kind of DeFi won over. Um, I you know it it it, it thinks like I think it was just like more marketable. You know, it's like. And, and it just like caught on, um, but it, it was just like very obvious to me, uh, on, in my kind of research of the infinite machine, just like going to the hackathons and, you know, conferences that this was something, you know, relevant and important that would continue growing, whatever it was called, you know, like this ecosystem of like protocols and financial applications. It was so different, you know, speaking of ICOs, like so different from the ICO boom. You know, it's like you had actual working applications and users 
Um, and it really did start to seem like this new parallel financial system was being built. It was, yeah, it was pretty mind blowing to just like see it emerge pretty much from scratch. Yeah. And you're seeing this back in 2019. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Like when I, when DeFi first really like made sense and clicked with me was in 2020. And the fact that you can run, like you said, run these applications on chain was really a zero to one innovation. You didn't have to like go to like a centralized exchange. You didn't have to worry about any counterparty. Like it was just all done with smart contracts. Exactly. Yeah. It, it really was something that, that it was totally different from, from what we've seen before. I mean, things like Confound, Aave, Uniswap, you know, being able to, to lend and borrow crypto permissionlessly in a non-custodial way, being able to trade in a non-custodial way, in a way that was easy because there were DEXs before, but they were just yeah. extremely hard to use. Um, Ether Delta. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, you know, that kind of, the, the ease of like using Uniswap and plugging into MetaMask and, you know, but then like going to compound and depositing, you know, whatever, USDC, uh, earning interest without having to like deal with anyone else, but a smart contract. I, I think that was like a light bulb moment for many of us in the space where it was like, okay, like mm -hmm. this is something different. Like this is new. Um, like, like yeah. Cammy, I, I wanted to ask you, is it because you come from eight years at Bloomberg where you're like super deep in traditional finance so that when you first used, you know, DeFi, you, you, the light bulb was so much larger for you because you <laughs> saw how everything worked previously and, and you, you saw like how bright this future could be. Would, would you say that uh, helped you see the vision of DeFi more? I guess, I guess it could be, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but. I did have a lot of background in traditional finance, obviously, um, in all, all sorts of markets. Uh, and, you know, kind of, I, I, I know how um, inefficient traditional markets are, you know, all the clearing and settlement times and, you know, how, how things work, like uh, even just like simple things like making transfers in traditional finance, how that takes days. Uh, and all the intermediaries that go into into TradFi. Um, so yeah, I, I had been kind of covering all that uh, ecosystem for for years, and even you know, in other in other places like you know fr from the U.S., but also from uh, South America and also in Europe, um, and just like seeing how massively bureaucratic and inefficient the system is. So the, the contrast with DeFi is just extremely stark. Yeah, it's like night and day, honestly. Yeah. Um, at what point um, did, do you think, in your opinion, did DeFi really hit critical mass among like those in crypto? Like we say, like it's DeFi summer, but is there a specific moment like before DeFi summer or during De DeFi summer that was like, okay, DeFi is here. It's a force and it's here to stay. Um, that's a good question. I think, you know, I was, I was covering the space since 2019 uh, with the Defiant every day. Like I, I launched the Defiant in June of 2019. And from then on, I was like writing the newsletter uh, pretty much 
on my own the first few months. Um, and at that time, DeFi did seem, you know, super interesting, super dynamic. Like there was tons to cover every single day, but it was very niche. Not a, a lot of people kind of were paying attention to it. I think it was um, the start of DeFi summer, definitely kind of where it, it kind of grabbed like just broader attention and where you at least saw DeFi being covered in crypto media. Because before then, DeFi wasn't even being covered by Coindesk or, you know. Um, so I, I it, it was probably, to me, like the start of DeFi summer was uh, the launch of Confound, the, uh, the, the Comp token. That was kind of what triggered this mad run for TVL by, by others <laughs> Free um, money. and yield farming <laughs> and, yeah. you know, all those, you know, token all incentives and thousand or like million percent APYs and <laughs> all, all that craziness <laughs> yeah. that came after. Um, I think that was probably what, what kicked it off. Yeah. I think the first time I heard of DeFi in the news was the BZRX flash loan that happened months prior mm. to that. Yep. That was the first time I heard of it. And I was like, oh, what's that? And it was, everyone was just like studying it because it was the first type of exploit of that kind. Exactly. And then I remember when I was at Everpedia, um, Everpedia had a prediction market at the time called Predict, which was on EOS. Um, and I remember Everpedia, um, we wrote a blog post saying like Everpedia is like shifting more to focus on DeFi. And this was like two weeks. It was in early June, two weeks before Compound announced their, uh, their yield farming program. Um, their incentive program. So it, it, I remember in June when it started to happen and it was just like, whoa, like we can do all this stuff on chain. And then, you know, you realize like, wait, Uniswap exists. <laughs> and then from, and then from there, you just saw like, I, my first experience really using DeFi on chain was messing with synthetics and using mm. their platform. It was like, wait, like I can like go into like these synthetic markets like this and that. Like I had no idea like how to manage the collateral ratio to this or that. Like I feel like those like using DeFi that, haven't really used traditional finance. It was like learning finance from the ground up, which was really cool about it. And then um, what memories did you have from DeFi summer? Like what parts of it like really stuck out to you? Um, so yeah, that, that kind of comp token, it, <laughs> it really took me by surprise. I remember um, I had a, a contributor uh, at the time, uh, Sebastian Aldasoro. Uh, he... He told me, you know, hey, like, do you want me to write this up? And I said, yeah, sure. Like, write up, you know, there's something, something brief. I, I just like, to me, it's like coming from kind of the ICO days again, like just thinking about, you know, just like a protocol launching a token. Um, sure, like it's interesting, but I never expected it to just go off the way it did. And then uh, seeing kind of how it was driving, like, it was like hundreds of millions of, of TVL. <laughs> like just like people were flocking to this uh, because of the token incentives. Um, I, I never expected like such just like an immediate and also just massive uh, reaction to that. Um, and uh, and from from there, like, I don't know, like other other moments. Um, I think just like thinking about like the early 
define uh, days in general. Um, I think like one of my favorite stories is the Unisop Sushi Swap uh, drama. Uh, that was so fun, like the, the vampire attack um, and, you know, how all of that uh, played out and, you know, that, that whole kind of debate on uh, how uh, loyal uh, and how much of a mode communities are. And, you know, how, how crazy it was that Sushi was able to port a lot of their, uh, of Uniswap's uh, liquidity over to their new platform because of these token incentives. Um, that whole story is, I mean, to this day, I, I think it's one of the most fascinating stories in, in DeFi. Yeah. Um, and the drama yeah. behind it yeah. with, uh, um, oh my God, not, I can't believe it. Chef Nomi. Yeah. With Chef Nomi, like leaving and then returning the funds yes. and then <laughs> and then insane. uniswap um uh, you know uh you know they felt like they were kind of like on their toes and needed to be re reactionary and then they came with the uni airdrop mm -hmm. and then that started the whole you know airdrop uh, yeah and then the uni yeah. airdrop spurred like it's all whole new whole thing. airdrop movement yeah. yeah it's own category of like airdrop exactly. and airdrop hunting so the ramifications and consequences are huge Uniswap and sushi and the whole sushi swap fork, like we still feel to this day, because so many other protocols copied that. Whether it's like the sushi, the you know the master chef contract for farming, mm -hmm. or like you said, like the whole airdrop meme, you know we still we still see the consequences of all that. Yeah, no, it was a huge story. Um, I I just I I thought it was fascinating how that played out, and then just like on a lighter note i i remember the like all the um the food yeah it was just yeah. hilarious it was just like yeah, so I, I, yeah. so defi you know? yeah, i just remember I, like mm -hmm. the unhealthier the food token the more likely it was as a rug right <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember like i i call that uh, period pick your favorite food emoji season and yeah that's just, yeah know. it was like a, a it was um, it was like a mix between like emoji mania and food tokens. Remember like Yam? Yeah, yeah. I, I think right. like Yam Yam Finance was like one of the first um food tokens and probably what kicked kind of the the whole thing mm -hmm. off. And then like everything just got more and more bizarre. <laughs> yeah. From there. So, so Cam, I, I wanted to ask you as you know being basically the only media at the time that is like heavily looking into DeFi. Do you feel it was imperative that you also kind of degen into some of these pools and experience it firsthand? Or did you just kind of stay on the sidelines and, and, and observed mainly? Um, I definitely uh, like tested them out, you know, like I, I, I tried stuff. Um, but, you know, this is something that Unfortunately, I'm. It's not in me to be a trader. Like, I don't know. Uh, it's it's not my nature. Um, and you know, I I think you know, <laughs> I, I I kind of like I, I wish that I was. I, got you. Uh, I would do a lot better in this space. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I'm I'm early to so many things that I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'll write a story instead of like investing in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, of course, like I, 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 you know, I, I was experimenting with all, all these things and I'm just like, because y you need to actually use this stuff to understand, you know, how it, 
you know, how groundbreaking it is, how different it is from, from, from the past. But it wasn't like degening into like, you know, it wasn't like yield farming or, you know, spending like a, any, any kind of big, like relevant amount of my own money in, in DeFi. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm a buy and hold sort of uh, person. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I hold ETH. I held like, like stable coins and in like compound and Ave and like a year and like maybe year like maybe earning a little bit of yield right. here and there. Um, but no, very, very far from, from a DGen. That's awesome. All right, guys, the defiant would not front run you. They do not. <laughs> so they'll give you the info and actually they let you go. Yeah. yeah I, know. No, I, think... I mean, it's, it's kind of our, it's a big part of our like ethos. Um, we're not investors, you know, uh, our thing is just unbiased, objective information. Um, it's how really I, I want the Defiant to make a difference in this space. You know, we're not, there's just like so, so much bullshit going on, like pumping and mm -hmm. dumping outlets, like influencers, like dumping on their, on their audience, um, on their followers, um, media outlets that are really like. PR firms that are being paid for coverage. Like so much of this is happening. Um, I just think, you know, DeFi deserves better. We need to raise the bar, raise the standards. I'm bringing kind of all of the standards that I learned at Bloomberg eight years there, where as a Bloomberg reporter, you can't touch whatever you're covering. So I've bended the rules a little bit. Like I do hold crypto. Um, and I think because I, I think it's important to kind of have skin in the game to, again, like understand what you're, mm -hmm. what you're writing about. So I've, um, I've modified Bloomberg's rules to our space, but you know, there's still kind of this hard line where we're, we're not investing in, uh, we're not actively trading in what we're covering. Yeah. And actually this leads into, uh, my next question pretty elegant way. Um, what is the state of crypto media today? Um, how well do you think the space is doing covering stories, both at a news level, like with the Defiant, and also, you know, you have your classic Twitter threaders and commentators on there. Like, how well do you think everyone's covering things? What do you think people are doing right? And what do you think people are doing wrong? Um, yeah, great question. So, okay, so I think uh, crypto media or like crypto coverage, I should say, has improved so much uh, since you know 2017 um at the time you had you know mainstream media covering crypto very superficially uh, almost no one had a dedicated crypto team and there weren't many um dedicated kind of industry uh, outlets either um and now you have seen the the space for crypto information mature to a place where mainstream media does have um, dedicated crypto teams, and that's just elevated the the quality of coverage. Uh, so, you know, like Bloomberg does finally uh, they they kind of uh, have like build it, it, its own uh, crypto team, uh, Fortune has an incredible crypto team. Um, you know the like ft is like very anti-crypto but at least you know they, they they put out interesting stuff uh 
you see a, a lot of like really in-depth coverage from mainstream media. Like um, New York Magazine has had a crypto on the cover, like Time, uh, The Economist, like pretty much every major uh, magazine or, or news site has kind of, uh, you know, looked and deeply into crypto now. Um, still a lot to to improve, but I think we're we're just like so so much further than we were. And uh, and then kind of the crypto specific uh, space um, has gotten a lot more options. Like before, it used to be pretty much you know CoinDesk when the block came, and you know CoinTelegraph has also been around for a while. Uh, but now there's, you know, there's a lot of more specialized uh, coverage going on. So you have like NFT specific sites, obviously, you know, DeFi. Um, there's there's new kind of generalist sites like Blockworks. So I think there's there's a lot of options out there uh, for news coverage uh, where I think there there has to be um, improvement is on financial coverage. And that's what you know, the defiant is focusing on. And for that to happen, uh, we need better data. Uh, so I think that's kind of where the big gap is right now. Um, right now, it's really hard to get access to uh, reliable standardized um, data, especially on DeFi and Web3 in a way that's easy to analyze, that's comparable. Um, it's like you need to have like, dozens of tabs open to keep track of the space. There's lack of historical data. Um, and that leads to bad quality reporting, especially on like financial markets. It's like, you know, to, to cover DeFi and Web3 markets well, you need the raw material, which is data. And data is just lacking uh, very badly. And so that's what uh, we are building at the Defiance. Uh, we're building a data platform uh, that's focusing on DeFi. Um, and so that we hope will dramatically uh, improve the level of financial reporting in the space. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely a race to standardize data in the space. And I'm wondering, I've heard there's like a few difficulties with that, like coming up with standards because Every protocol is different in how they, you know, whether they, how they account for revenue or how they account for certain things. So how does the Defiant, like, go in? Do they have to go into, like, each white paper and figure out, like, okay, this is how this works or, like, okay, this is how that works and how they account for, like, this certain thing? So how does, like, the, the Defiant deal with all that? Yeah, it's super hard. Um, I mean, there's a reason why you don't, you don't really see uh, a lot of the information out there. Um, it's it's such a huge problem. It's like we're building this financial system, uh, and a key part, like a key infrastructure for it, which is information, is not there. Like you just don't have data for it, or it's it's locked for very uh, technical people who are able to actually go into a smart contract. So it's like we're building. We're supposed to be building a more inclusive, democratic, open financial system. But information for it is the opposite. It's very exclusive. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we're trying to fix at, at the Defiant. And for up until now, um, it's been very slow because it is like about going directly to like each smart contract, like figuring out how each protocol works. Uh, like our 
uh, developers and, and data analysts have to like, you know, just like ask the projects directly to make sure that we're, you know, be, being accurate. So it's a very kind of manual, slow job. And, but we, once we have our MVP uh, out there, like our terminal that we're launching by the end of the year, um, the, the way to scale, I believe, is being like fully Web3 native and, uh, and growing together with the DeFi community. So that means uh, instead of relying our, on our centralized team to aggregate all this data, uh, we will include uh, the DeFi community, you know, DeFi developers, DeFi projects who want to be a part of the Define terminal uh, to add their data themselves. Um, and I think, you know, this, this will be a great opportunity uh, for DeFi projects themselves who want to get their information out there and to want to see their, their data uh, be known. And of course, it'll be great for end users who now will have access to this data very easily, you know, in a front end that doesn't require any coding that lets you just, you know, just with a search bar, create these charts uh, no SQL queries or anything. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited for that. Yeah. Last week we had, uh, zero X D two four on who's an anon threader. And that is one of the things he said, like something that's absolutely missing from DeFi is data and visible data and having like a way to read the chain and analyze projects in a sufficient manner to make decisions, especially for institutions. So I definitely see this thing becoming more and more of a trend. Um, and I find it very full circle how you went from Bloomberg which has the Bloomberg terminal. And now you're building your own Bloomberg terminal of sorts. It's really full circle. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a Bloomberg terminal, but with the huge difference that Bloomberg terminal is, is all about being very closed, you know, very exclusive. It's, you know, a $2,000 a month subscription. Uh, we will always have a free side of, of the defined terminal. Mm. Like we, we want people to access this, this data very easily. Um, and, you know, just like unlock uh, all this information for the community. Of course, we'll have like different tiers of subscri subscriptions for, you know, more functionality and so on uh, from there. But uh, that's a, a big difference. And then the other difference is just like the community led uh, aspect of it, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of the Web3 forward way of, of building a data terminal. Yeah, for me, like, um, Cam, I mean, I applaud you for trying to solve this like mega, mega issue. Dave and I talk about it all the time. We hide <laughs> behind the banner of like transparency, right? The blockchain is open. Everyone can come in, but it will be as if like you received a library card to access the library, but then all the books are all over the place, non-alphabetized and you could go look for each book and each page. I love but that analogy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I there's feel. No, there's no Dewey Decimal system. Yeah, there's no Dewey Decimal yeah. here. Um, <laughs> but what, what I wanted to, to get your thoughts on is like in crypto, we can't even decide what is considered revenue and what is an expense, right? Token Terminal classifies it this way. Um, folks over at Mazari classifies it another way. Crypto fees too. Yeah, crypto fees as mm -hmm. well too. So do you feel that we need some kind of like gap uh, standard across the board is that and if so does that gap standard come from the community um, kind of imposing this or do you think all the projects come together and create a consortium to create a gap standard w where do you see us going from here hmm. that's a really interesting question um 
I think, you know, these things have to come uh, from the bottom up to for them to be effective. Like they, they need to come from the community. Um, otherwise, they, they won't be legitimized. Uh, you know, it's like you can't have an organization come and say, OK, like I've uh, I've united kind of the biggest brains in the space and we've come up with this and this is what we'll do for no from now on. Like, I, don't, I just don't think that's the way mm -hmm. things work in, in Web3 uh, anymore. Uh, so how I believe things will, ha will evolve is that you'll, you'll start to see uh, the, the community kind of gravitate towards one, one sort of definition more than another. Uh, in the way that you've like seen happen with like things like TVL, you know, it's like, okay, for some reason, this metric has really caught on and like, you know, now everyone is, uh, every protocol uh, kind of reports it in, in some way or another. Um, and so we'll, in this way, we'll start to uh, build our own um, data standard system. And then from, I think from there, like once uh, the, the community has kind of congregated or, or like, there's been consensus around a, a group of 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 data standards. Then you you can have like an organization come and just like compile that, like compile what's already kind of emerged organically, and just like maybe put it in some some kind of like centralized organization or you know just like make it official. But it needs to come from the bottom up. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like how. Dune Analytics works like the community makes the dashboards from the bottom up. It's just the thing is with Dune is you have to know MySQL or like whatever they yeah. use to build mm -hmm. it. This is like a little bit different because it's more of like, like you said, it's no code. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get back to uh, crypto media. Um, as we all know, like crypto moves fast, it moves really fast. I feel like if you work in crypto or are involved in the space in any way, time just moves faster than normal time. And so my question is, how does the Define keep up with everything, what's going on? And like, how do you judge which stories to cover or not? Um, uh, yeah, that, that's like, that's a big part of our job is filtering signal from noise. There's a lot of noise in the space. There's, there's so much happening. Um, and, you know, again, like that's a, a way that we differentiate is that we don't try to cover everything in crypto. Like we're not crypto generalists. We are specializing in the on-chain economy. So, you know, that's, you know, I, I include DeFi, NFTs, DAOs. Um, and so within that space, we, uh, we, um, I think what, what makes the bar is seeing what is actually making an impact in users and, and markets. So, you know, things like an announcement of something being launched, which we get all the time. It's, it's very hard for us to cover that because, um, it's, it's not something that's making an actual impact. So I, I you know, I think that's, that's kind of what, uh, what helps us decide, okay, what, what we should cover and, and what we should uncover. Um, Something else that we've recently implemented uh, to make sure that we're not missing anything is 
very basic, you know, something that's used in all newsrooms, but it's Beats coverage, um, which before, you know, like we're a very small team. We're three reporters and two editors. Uh, and, you know, with a small team, it's hard to have Beats because it's like, okay, everyone covers all of DeFi, NFTs, and, and, and Web3. Uh, but we, we started seeing, okay, like may, maybe we missed some, some big kind of development, some big vote on, on a, on a big, uh, protocol where if we had a dedicated reporter where, you know, that's their responsibility, we wouldn't have missed it. So we like just last week and uh, made this, this change, um, and now reporters have their, uh, their dedicated beats and protocols that they need to be focusing on. So yeah, I'm I'm excited and for this. I think it's gonna help us stay on top of things, you know, e even more than um than than we already are. But um yeah, I guess like to answer the question more more concisely, it's uh, the um, it's just having a, a a strict focus. It's like we we are uh, you know covering the on-chain economy. So for things in C5 to make the cut, they need to be like huge stories you know it's like of course like celsius we we we, we covered that because it, it did have an impact in DeFi as well um but we're not trying to cover like everything that happens in c5 or everything that happens in kind of like you know institutions coming to crypto that's that's kind of not our our focus so maintaining our focus um and making sure that we're covering uh, developments that are actually making an impact and not just like any random announcement that comes on our inbox. What are some beats that you cover? Um, our, okay, so our beats, we have uh, DEXs and within DEXs, you know, uh, there's like specifically like Uniswap, Curve, uh, SushiSwap, Xerox. Um, then lenders, there's NFTs and metaverse, there's infrastructure. So like chain link, the graph, Gnosis, um, asset management. So that's like Yearn, Olympus, BadgerDAO and, and others. Derivatives, so synthetic, CYDX. Layer twos, um, Ethereum is its own beat. Bitcoin is its own beat. And then like alt layer ones. Regulation, CFI, staking, and stable coins. So <laughs> that's that's a lot. So reporters need to stay on top of everything. Yeah, Kit, me and you basically cover the frax beat. We're like the grassroots <laughs> yeah. frax beat. Yeah. So we have Cammy. We have this weekly show called Frax Check, and it's once a week. And basically, Kit covers the on-chain data, and I cover the governance proposals. And it's just like a quick snapshot of everything. Honestly, it's actually super useful for nice. and like mm -hmm. I've gotten a few messages of people appreciating it in the community. Yeah, yeah so. I'm sure. I, I think it's great to um have that you know that frequency really kind of just forces you to stay on top of things. Um and it's it's a great resource for uh, you know, news outlets to have something like that, you know, for when when we do want to cover know something happening in France to have that kind of primary resource uh with shows yeah. like yours it goes it's all about communication like you said like making the chain legible and like mm -hmm. you know I feel like every project could have their own like frax check in a sense 100 percent, yeah that would be super helpful 
And and Cami, I wanted to ask, uh, how does your team kind of stay on top of their beats? Like, are there special tools you guys use to you know streamline, like Tweet Deck, for example, Twitter, or anything like that? People on Twitter that you follow. I mean, yeah, we. It. I mean, I think that you'd have to ask kind of each reporter how they do it. Um, but you know, I um, we have like a Twitter list uh, that that we follow, and we have. I, I think like the just like the uh the habit of just checking kind of um what's what's happening in in markets and and on chain so like i said before there's like you know a dozen different platforms that you need to Mm -hmm. kind of stay on top of to kind of understand what's happening uh so we're in the habit of of just like looking through those so that we we don't miss anything um reporters covering kind of specific protocols are in their discord uh, to to kind of keep up uh, what's happening mm-hmm. they're, they're tracking the different project forums uh, to see what's uh, what's going on in governance um uh, what else i think just like yeah twitter is is kind of the i i feel like the the hub uh, it's like yeah. the town square <laughs> for, mm-hmm, for DeFi mm-hmm. and crypto. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, but it's about filtering. So it's like about using lists uh, efficiently. Um, yeah. I, I think between Twitter, Discord, uh, kind of all these uh, data trackers, Reddit, kind of what, what's surfacing on Reddit. We use the Rect feed uh, as well. Um, and then we have like our own like editorial at the Defiant inbox, uh, which is where we get all the like PR uh, pitches and, and releases. So yeah, there's like a lot to filter through. Yeah, I think filtering and having nuance is one of those skills in crypto that you just learn over time. It takes mm-hmm. just being here for months, if not years to figure out, okay, like what's legit, what's not legit, exactly. what's what's newsworthy, what's not. And sometimes you think something is newsworthy, but it just doesn't hit. And then something that you're like, oh, that isn't anything. But for some reason, it's a big deal. So sometimes it's like, you're never yeah. really 100% hit rate. Mm-hmm. But if you can just be like more than 50, 60, 70, 80%, like you're good. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you said that uh, one of your beats is stable coins, which is something I want to get into. So what is your you know, experience in covering stable coins? Um, like and how it's perceived, how you've seen it evolve from you know that first like stablecoin era at the end of 2020 until now, because you know DeFi was like one thing, but stablecoins is this like you know kind of like I how do I describe it? Like if DeFi is degen, then stablecoins is like ultra degen, honestly, because it's like either works or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think stablecoins are you know probably the most like one of the most important building blocks for for DeFi um, as a whole. Like, you, you just need uh, these, you know, the, this asset class to work, for DeFi to work. Uh, you can't have just, like, these volatile assets, you know, flying around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's it's hugely important. I think it's, it's interesting to... It's been interesting to see the development of what used to be essentially just Teller um, back in 2018 
into this space with a lot more options. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the big challenge has been uh, for DeFi to find a more, you know, censorship uh, resistance uh, and, uh, and decentralized options to tether. Um, and, and then, you know, USDC started uh, really taking off uh, because Tether had this, you know, kind of stained reputation around uh, just like lack of transparency behind the tacit. So then USDC started taking off and then, um, and then uh, Maker would die. Uh, started becoming a lot bigger, uh, and and Dai was kind of the the kind of DeFi uh, stable client. But then that started having its own issues when it became multi-collateral Dai. Um, and so you you did have you know all these other you know centralized stablecoins backing Dai, and then yeah we started seeing all these other you know experiments and alternatives. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Frax is, is one, I remember like Algorand being very early with its, its own experiment, like really interesting stuff like Rye. Um, but it feels like it's, it's gone from, you know, like centralized to, um, to trying to be decentralized and then, you know, trying all these kind of like algorithmic or like crypto backed or like hybrid um, experiments. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating space. And I, I think it's fascinating because it's, it's so key. It's for yeah, DeFi to work. It's so essential. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it goes from first, we just said centralized, just like, you know, there's dollars in a bank or in treasuries mm -hmm. and then it's represented on chain. And then in the logical thing, it was like, oh, how can you make a decentralized stable coin? Hence the first version of DAI. But then after the whole Black Thursday in 2020, it was like, oh, wait, we need a scale. So we have to have centralized collateral, hence, you mm -hmm. know, USDC backing it. And now, you know, it kind of went like back more towards the middle between centralized and decentralized. And then you had decentralized experiments pop up up again with Rai, yeah. with Rai and LUSD. And then you had other scaling experiments of like, oh, like, what if we instead of over collateralized, we can have a capital efficient, car partially collateralized algorithmic stablecoin which was frax and there was a bunch of algorithmic stablecoins out there and most of them failed i would say like 80 90 percent of yeah. them just did not work out because of like the mechanics of it were really hard and we mm -hmm. have the saying um in the frax community that there will be like one stablecoin design that like everyone will basically copy and all roads will lead to that and so far you know the model's been all roads lead to frax and so we, we keep <laughs> since the, we keep, we've been beating that drum since uh since the beginning and like you know rome wasn't bu built in a day frax wasn't either um <laughs> but yeah, yeah i guess no, like we'll, we'll yeah. see that play out then yeah so i guess like from your like bird's eye view at the defiant like how have you seen frax evolve because i feel like a lot of stable coins had their moment in the sun whether it was like esd or even like, you know, Faye when they announced the raise, or if it was like Iron with like Mark Cuban writing his piece, or if it was like Mim with like everything they were doing for a hot second, and then like UST. And Frax has always kind of been in the background, just like building and shipping, and never really has been like the main character, like any of those stable coins. And like they've either now all those stable coins are either just like not like blew up and are not here anymore, or like are like a fraction of what, what they used to be. So like what are your thoughts on that? And like those stable coins and how Frax has kind of evolved along that. Yeah, I mean, 
I think, you know, <laughs> at the Defiant, we, because it's, we have like limited uh, bandwidth to cover, uh, you know, everything that's happening in the space. Um, and we really do kind of uh, want to, you know, put in front of our audience what's really kind of um, moving the needle uh, in, in the space. Uh, I don't think we've we've done a lot of coverage uh, on, on FRAX. Um, and, you know, I think uh, on, on the one hand, it's, it's good because like when things blow up, uh, then you know we, we cover them, so it means that it hasn't like really yeah. just you know cratered, um, like like Faye. You know we we covered kind of that that whole uh, that whole drama. Um, so you know you've you've kind of had you said Fred was like uh, growing and building uh, in in the background and and kind of um, taking kind of the 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 best. Uh, mechanisms and and kind of building blocks uh, of like what has worked um so so yeah i think maybe kind of uh it's it's been kind of this build up until uh, it kind of like breaks um, yeah. and and we can have uh, more coverage on it yeah so what do you think needs to happen for frax to get there and what do you think can help frax become more digestible to your readers because uh, it is complicated. Like a lot of people I talk to when I try to explain fracks, it takes them a few times. Or if someone's like doing research, it takes them reading, going over things a few times and before like the light bulb to click. So I'm mm -hmm. wondering like, is there like a way like, you know, how Olympus had like 3-3 three, three, or like, is there a way like fracks become more like memeable and digestible in your opinion? Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, as much as you can uh, simplify the kind of inner workings of of something and yeah, like I think memes are, are, are a great way. Um, so, you know, having, having something like, like, a uh, like a tutorial or, uh, just like an, an explainer on, on fracks, uh, you know, we could do that uh, at the Defiant, like, because we do have explainers on things that, you know, are in, are in news, but are just like useful. Um, and then for, for, for us to like, really, you know, cover it as, as news, like it, it just needs to be newsworthy. So, um, it, it's, and it just comes with, uh, with, with, um, with protocols just like gaining more more adoption. I, I mean, when I talk about you know things making an impact and and that's the bar that we we look at, it's you know like how many people are using it. Uh, you know, um, is it is it being adopted by different kind of protocols? Like, is it being held by a lot of people? Um, is maybe kind of can it hold the peg better than any other? Uh, stable coin I don't know like any of those kind mm -hmm. of like superlatives or like adoption metrics um, that you can show that okay like this is newsworthy because it's it's standing out from the rest um, those are the things we look at when when we're looking yeah. to cover yeah. the project coverage is is not you know just handed to you it's earned over time like look, yeah. yeah MakerDAO has been around for I think like five years now and so they and they help pioneer so much of DeFi, and so mm -hmm. like they like I've earned like the coverage that they're always getting. I feel like a lot of the Frax coverage from the Defiant has been from my guest articles. 
<laughs> the one that I wrote <laughs> last year um, about, you know, when like, you know, Frax and actually Luna before, like way before, like a year before Luna blew up. And the mm -hmm. other, that was an interesting article because that was like algorithmic stable coins or Satoshi's dream since he wrote about peer-to-peer -peer cash. I'm like, oh, like there's a clear parallel here. And then recently I had the uh, maker and Frax are the diplomats of DeFi one. And so like, I always appreciate you letting me write my like guest articles and stuff. I have a lot of fun yeah, doing no, it. Yeah, no, they're great. <laughs> and like your, your conference coverage is, is always so, so good as well. Yeah. So. Oh, thank you. I, it reminds me of like when I was at Everpedia, I would basically like, I felt like a quasi journalist in a sense, kind of like a Hunter S. Thompson. Cause like, I'm like part of the story, but like not the story. And like, I try to remove my biases. And I'm just like writing my observations, kind of like how Hunter S. Thompson did. So at Everpedia, it was about like things I saw online. And so I got like real, I did that so much. I got like pretty good at it. And I just like apply that to when I write define articles. I'm like, okay, this, this is my observations and stuff. And I think like yeah, exactly. my, my biggest challenge is like, you know, I've like, I have like, I write my like ideas at first, but like trying to be trying to write different articles and like have a different subject matter from what I wrote previously. And also to notice like how things have evolved since my last article, you know, I feel like, yeah. you know, when I wrote about Lisbon, like the space was at like a certain place. And now when I wrote about Paris recently, I was at a completely different place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's what makes things interesting, like seeing what's new, what's changing, um, you know, what, you know, what, whatever, whatever is kind of like uh, catching people's attention, um, like what, what, what are people talking about? Like all of that kind of like on the ground reporting. Um, yeah. Super interesting. I hope that there's more builders out there that, you know, guess right for the Defiant or other news sources, because I think it's just, you know, so important to get their perspective because they're in, in it every day and in it working day in and day out. And so they have like a real different flavor as like compared to like maybe like traditional journalists or like someone, someone else. So I think it's like really important to hope to hopefully get that out there. And like I always say that my Defiant coverage is a labor of love because I just like love yeah. writing. And I love like trying to give people my perspective on things because I think it's really important, especially when people look back on the space like 50 years from now, like or a long time from now, and they're trying to figure out like what exactly happened. And so it's like very important for them to get unbiased coverage. Yeah. And, you know, th that's that's kind of the difficult balance that we try to strike because, yeah, like I said, like we're all about providing objective, unbiased, professional reporting. Um but at the same time, we do want to be uh, more, you know, decentralized and crowdsourced information. So it's it's like okay, if if you start incentivizing outside contributors um, to write for the defiant, we still want to maintain kind of the same standards that we have for the rest of the site. Uh, but that many times it's it's hard to do with with outside contributors who don't have journalism experience, who won't necessarily be objective um, in their observations. And a lot of people, you know, when when they are contributing to news outlets, um, you know, the, they're not necessarily looking to, you know, give you kind of uh, like just like a. Um, a sense of what's happening, but they're in, in crypto kind of in the end, it's like they're, they're trying to kind of sell you something yeah it's what what i found uh, with, with a, a lot of kind of contributors so that's yeah. that's kind of the, the challenge there yeah um but i definitely think think there are uh there are ways 
uh, around it, and it, it, it's something that I, that we want to do a lot more to, more of you, to have outside think, contributors. What do you think those ways around it are? The what? Oh, what do you think those ways around it are? Like the super biased. Oh yeah, coverage. just like yeah. you know, just like being being clear uh, up front of like what the defiant standards are, what we need, uh, like, like the things that we publish. Um, having just like a straight editorial process. Um, yeah, just like having that back and forth between the editor and, and the writer. Um, and, and yeah, just, you know, having a conversation where, uh, we can make sure that the final product just like meets, uh, our requirements for publication. Well, Cami, I just want to ask, do you guys apply the same stringent, um, kind of like benchmark around the sponsors? that you work with too? Like, how do you go about selecting that? You know, as a um, up and coming media project as ours, like we'd love to learn how the Defiant filters through sponsorship uh, engagements and such. Yeah, great, great question. Um, so we do filter uh, sponsors. Uh, the, the main thing that we wanna see is that the project is legit. Um, so, you know, and legit in the sense that it's it's already live and working, mm -hmm. so we we typically you know would like I don't know maybe we've made like a couple of exceptions for teams that we really kind of know and trust, but we typically don't um, have any sponsors that aren't uh, live and working. Even you know even if it's like a token that's live, that doesn't count. Like you have to mm -hmm. have like an actual working. Uh, product because otherwise you know you, you get like a lot of fluff um so that's that's kind of like a a hard line uh that, that we do um and you know other than that like we we look for for some traction uh we we do kind of a, a check on like who the team is um but yeah the our, our main thing is like is this actually live working? Does it have users? Um, yeah, is it kind of a legit uh, project that's not just a token? Yeah. And Got it. Uh, following up on that, like, when did you determine that it was time for the Defiant to monetize? And what ways has the Defiant monetized? Um, so, yeah, it goes back to kind of when, when I, I first started the Defiant, uh, again, like June 2019. Um, I initially just, you know, thought it would be a side project and that I would be a freelance writer and have this newsletter on the side. Um, but then I, I, I saw that I could do this as my full-time job. So, you know, I saw, okay, like people are actually willing to pay for the content I'm putting out. And so the first way of monetizing the Defiant was to add a, a subscription uh, like a paywall on Substack. Um, and then I, you know, started getting paying subscribers from there. And then next project started approaching me saying that they wanted to sponsor the newsletter. And that was a hard decision because again, like I did not want there to be any sort of, um, perception of conflict. Uh, but you know, I, I decided to go for, uh, for sponsorships because, um, I, 
I would be just very clear on what's sponsored and paid for and what's editorial. So at the, the Defined, we don't do any paid editorial content. So all of the content that we're putting out is because it's, it's newsworthy and important, not because somebody paid us to cover their project. Uh, and then all the sponsors are clearly marked. Like they are, they are, you know, banners on the newsletter that says, you know, these are our sponsors. They are a section on the podcast that it's, it's, it's me kind of reading out the sponsor message. It's Robin doing the same for our YouTube videos. So it, there's like a really, really kind of, you know, hard kind of line and wall between what's editorial and what's sponsored. And I think that's it really helped us, you know, um, be able to just not, not have any kind of conflict there. Um, and, and that's, that's the main, like two ways that we monetize up until today, it's, it's subscriptions and sponsorship revenue. Got it. And I also see that you guys are pretty chain agnostic too. I see a lot of um, other L1s here. Like, could you walk me through your uh, process on deciding that, like, hey, we're going to be more than just ETH? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of very clear to me from the start. Like, this is about the on-chain economy. It's about this new financial mm. system. Um, it's not about ETH. Uh, a lot of it is happening on Ethereum. So yeah, like a lot of our coverage is about Ethereum, uh, about Ethereum itself, because it's such an important, obviously, you know, foundation for DeFi. Uh, so it's relevant to it. Uh, but if there's, you know, uh, activity happening on any other chain, uh, absolutely any other chain, like we don't discriminate. So I like it, when, when kind of the Alt L1 started taking off last year, we did get some flack for covering kind of Binance Smart Chain. Um, it's like, this is not CFI, it's centralized. And it's like, okay, but there's there's still activity happening here. There's like development, there's projects, there's users. Like you mm -hmm. can't deny that. Mm -hmm. um, you can debate kind of how centralized it is, but it's still a part of the space. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of our, our approach. We're absolutely chain agnostic. Uh, we are kind of Web3 maxis, like that's our focus, our niche, like that's where I, I believe the most um, interesting kind of developments are, are happening. Uh, but as to kind of where they happen, we'll, we'll just cover the space wherever it's happening. Yeah. And to this day, BNB is one of the largest ecosystems, but it's kind of its own island or at this point, it's so huge. It's like its own like continent honestly yeah and like i saw your article like there's gonna be zk bnb um that's gonna be on top of that's like a layer two on bnb chain which is gonna which is interesting to see so you know all these different chains are evolving um yeah. i guess like um on question on all l1s like what was your vantage point of seeing like the whole alt one hype cycle phase like all of them came out they all had kind of their incentive programs and it kind of followed like the path of DeFi summer, where it's like everybody rushed to a chain, they're, they're yield farming, and then they just mm -hmm. like moved on to the next thing. So what was your take on like the whole like L1 rush? Um, I, I think, you know, L1, the, the whole space is still extremely early. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, the, the fact that that liquidity is so fickle uh, and that people were really just looking to farm 
tokens rather than actually use these chains. Um, is is proof of how how early the space is. Uh, but you know, I that doesn't mean that something meaningful won't come out of other layer ones. I think it definitely will. Um, I think there there is a need for um, other kind of uh, maybe features or uh, you know uh, priorities. I guess that Ethereum uh, does differently. So you know maybe some protocols do want to optimize uh, for for speed and cheap transactions and not so much for security. So I think there's there's space uh, for developers and protocols who want to, um, you know, just like prioritize things uh, differently because, you know, not all projects have to be built the same or be for the same kind of users. Um, so I think kind of so far, um, What's been built on other layer ones has hasn't been so so meaningful uh, compared to ETH in 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 my opinion. Like I haven't seen that much innovation happen. Um, it's been a lot of like copying what Ethereum uh, already does and and maybe doing kind of um, I, I mean copying what some Ethereum based projects and protocols do. Uh, and and maybe doing some just like incremental improvements here and there, but I don't think we've seen something that's completely new uh, start from a non-Ethereum layer one. Um, I think maybe that that'll be kind of the the next step uh, for layer ones to to grow uh, instead of just like being a place where people can just like farm tokens. Uh, they'll have to just like provide something that's you know, many times better than what people can already get on, on Ethereum um, for people to just like meaningfully, be, be, be meaningfully um, using uh, other layer ones and, and not, not Ethereum. But I don't think we've, we've seen that in, in a big way yet. I think, you know, maybe kind of in some isolated cases, like, okay, Solana NFTs are taking off or maybe there's like a game somewhere else so we're seeing kind of like green shoots of it, um, but yeah, not like a huge wave of innovation. Yeah, I guess speaking of that, what's your take on the whole debate between the monolithic blockchain versus modular blockchain debate? So you have like Ethereum with this one chain with rollups, and then you have um, Cosmos with all their different chains with an IBC, and also I guess Polkadot in that regard as well. So like, do you think there's like a meaningful difference there? I think that, yeah, I think that the, the difference there is on how each model solves for security. I think that's, that's kind of the, the big question, right? It's like, um, with, with Ethereum, it's, it's pretty clear, like all of the, the rollups and layer twos, uh, get the same level of security because they are, uh, you know, basing all and like basing all their transactions back on Ethereum layer one. Um, and Cosmos is, is different. Like each chain has to have its own security, but now they're doing an up upgrade so that they all have their shared security. But 
um, I, I don't know if that's already live. I haven't kept, kept track on, on that. Uh, but in, in any case, kind of the shared security on the Cosmos ecosystem is pretty new uh, and obviously much less tested than, than for Ethereum. Um, and then for, for, for Polkadot, uh, as, as well, it's how, how like each, um, each, um, I'm, I'm banking on kind of the, their, <laughs> their term for, for like the individual, yes, like yeah. how, how each paratain, uh, they, they do, do kind of get their security from, from, uh, Polkadot. Um, so. I don't know. It's it's like it's it's a really interesting kind of scaling uh, model. Uh, I think for for Cosmos, it's it's worked out really well. Like they they've had some um, just like great like incredible success stories. Uh, I think kind of Luna was like the I guess like most famous one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it at least like it didn't it didn't kind of implode because of anything related to cosmos mm -hmm. yeah and it, it it did kind of show that you know the level at which something like that uh, a cosmos chain could scale so you know uh, there's like the crypto.com chain is also on cosmos so they, they do have some like big kind of success examples um we have yet to see that i think for for polkadot it's pretty early uh, and and of course like for for ethereum um, rollups, uh, I think are, are very promising, but, uh, I don't know the whole kind of UX issue there of like going between chains, uh, is still extremely painful. So, um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's those main issues that need to be tested and solved. It's like shared security, um, and UX. Uh, just like the the hassle for users to go from main chain to like a parachain or side chain or whatever roll up, um, and between those, uh, nobody has really figured that out yet. Like it's even even for like people who are in DeFi and using it all the time, like doing those those like using those bridges. It's it's really not straightforward. Like uh, yeah. like the the space is not gonna be able to go mainstream that way. Um, at, at least like how it's it's looking right now. Yeah, not only that, but as we've seen with like several hacks in the past, especially yeah. with like Nomad Harmony, I've like lost count of them. Like bridges are like the weakest link yeah. <laughs> of web three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, ironically, ironically, yeah. you have these like rickety bridges that like you never know when they're going to fall apart. No, yeah, you can't have that. Yeah, no, I guess like what what do you think are ways to like increase adoption on like different rollups and all ones? I guess one way simply would just be if centralized exchanges and on ramps, you know, fed directly to the rollup or the all L1. Um, but I wonder how much of it I feel like, you know, just as the defiant needs like a project to reach critical mass for it to have coverage like a chain or roll-up needs to hit critical mass for them to have adoption like that mm. yeah no i, I think uh, on ramps uh, are, are key um yeah it, it, it comes down to again like security and and ux like you need to have users feel safe that they're not gonna lose their money and you need them to just like be you know just easily be able to 
to move their tokens, move their fiat on onto these uh, chains. Yeah. And so we it's pretty obvious you've had like a pretty, you know, on the ground vantage point of crypto and DeFi and the on-chain world for years now. Um, in like the coming months and years, where do you see the on-chain world going? Where do you see DeFi going? And like, where do you see the coverage of it heading as well? Um, so I, I've said this before, but uh, I, I fully believe that um, finance and just the internet uh, will be more and more decentralized. Uh, I believe all companies will be crypto companies uh, in the future uh, because everyone, like every industry will uh, be using um, blockchains as uh, some part of their infrastructure. Uh, I believe that, um, you know, blockchains are a simply, you know, better uh, it, infrastructure system for for uh, our financial system um and i think this new financial system will become an additional layer to how we use the web itself and so that will start to just like bleed into every single application and service and you no know, company that we uh, interact with um so you know i think you know for the on-chain economy that means it'll just continue uh, to, you know, grow uh, and get bigger and get more adoption. Um, and hopefully for the world, that means that more people will have access to all these financial services that were uh, reserved for just, you know, a, a few. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty optimistic on just like, how Web3 will uh, gradually start to take over um, most of what we do online. Yeah, it's like a black hole. Like the gravity of Web3 is so strong that everything will just get sucked into it. And because it's so easy to just... Um, it, like the, the whole ecosystem is so inter interconnected and, and it's so easy to plug in to it uh, that you know it does have these like powerful network effects where you know you start using uh, DeFi, but then like social media is also integrated and and you know and and suddenly you know payments and um and then maybe even how you work if if you're working on kind of DAOs and then suddenly kind of your whole life is is web3 that's kind of how i yeah i see things i feel like i live on chain at this point yeah. <laughs> so I think it'll be like that for, for most people. Yeah. So then do you envision the Defiant also kind of growing in that sense and coverage just expand into literally every crevice of Web3? Um, with, with caveats, uh, again, like we want to be, to remain specialized in finance. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to be a generalist uh, news uh, organization um if you know you're you you look at kind of a web2 tradfi as an analog uh, we're kind of bloomberg we're not cnn um so you know as long as it's uh, just you know finance markets like economy like on-chain mm. economy 
related, uh, then then we'll cover it. Um, I, I see our coverage uh, expanding beyond just DeFi to include CeFi, to include TradFi, so that we become just a financial news uh, organization. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like things like, you know, like, like politics or, you know, like other, other areas of coverage will be a lot more limited on the defined as, as we do want to be specialized in finance. Mm, got it. So at the defiant and your experience as a journalist, what journalistic principles stand true, no matter the subject, whether it's crypto or not crypto. Um, well, I think kind of, you know, accuracy, uh, above all, like that's, that's the most important thing. Um, and, um, so journalistic principles, accuracy, uh, um, having, having balance. So giving, um, a fair opportunity, uh, for for comment and like to have their um their their say to all sides that uh, that you're talking to um i think are you know th those those two things like balance and accuracy are probably just like the what you cannot compromise in uh, what, like for whatever kind of journalism you're doing mm -hmm. yeah for sure um, and so do you have any other words of wisdom you could give to the rest of crypto media? Like, what do you wish you would see more of in crypto media? Like what are people doing right or wrong? Um, again, like I see a, a lot of, uh, great uh, reporting out there. Um, and I think maybe, so two things I wish, uh, I saw more of is, uh, again, like more data backed. Uh, reporting like on-chain data uh, is is missing. I think a lot of the cover, like most of the coverage, is pretty superficial. Um, and then I think I'm missing more just you know people uh, stories uh, for crypto. I think you know there's just like so many interesting characters and groups, uh, and that gets missed. Uh, you know, we, we focus a lot of kind of on what's happening and not who's behind what's happening. So, you know, I, I wish I, 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 and, and, and we, and, and we're kind of like, uh, we're part of this too. Like we, we, we don't cover that, that many kind of, we don't write that many profiles because yeah, it's like a bandwidth problem. It's like you, you default to just like writing about what's happening and, and those stories are kind of softer and kind of get left behind but they're so important so um yeah those are yeah two things that i'd like to see more you, you kind of see those people stories arise on the narratives that are on twitter like people become main mm -hmm. characters in a sense and uh sometimes it works out and some but a lot of time you know you know the rule about main characters is you never want to become one because then like main characters always get cut off <laughs> or they get <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a common saying um, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like if there was like some like vice of crypto to follow, like the people around to these conferences and stuff, you know, it would be like pretty cool to see. Yep. Yep. Agree. So yeah, uh, that's, I mean, those are two areas that we, we definitely want to improve on at the Defiant as well. Yeah. Do you think the Defiant will ever do something like that? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's in it's it's in our kind of plan. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. What yeah. what for those? Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, Kit, do you have any other questions for Cami over here? No, I just I just wanted to express to her how much more I respect the Defiant now after chatting with you today and seeing like how stringent you guys are and the standard you guys hold yourself to. It's you know, it's laudable. Awesome. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've built and so excited for what's to come. Yeah. And so at the end of every interview, we like to do a round of lightning questions. And so Kit has a few, I have a few. And yeah, we'll get this going. All righty. So, <laughs> Cami, when was the first time you touched the blockchain and centralized exchanges don't count? Oh, <laughs> huh. I'm not sure. I, I It was probably 2019. Yeah, like when when I like started kind of playing around with DeFi, like maybe it was probably Uniswap or something that I was using. And second question, what do you do off chain? What is your favorite touch grass activity? Ah, okay. Um, I love walking around Manhattan and and Brooklyn. Um, yeah, uh, just exploring new neighborhoods, uh, walking with my dog and my husband, Conga. you know, <laughs> grabbing an ice cream, <laughs> pretty, oh. pretty simple pleasures of life. But I, you know, I just love uh, exploring the city. Yeah. It's so wholesome. <laughs> Very wholesome. Yep. What's some advice that you would give to your five year younger self? Ah, uh, um... Ah, this is so hard. <laughs> uh, keep writing. Keep I writing. Guess. <laughs> what? Wait, five years? I don't know if I was writing at five-year-old. No, no, five but... years. No, 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 like five years ago. Oh, five years ago. Okay. And what was that? I was just coming to New York. Um, mm, yeah, probably just like... Eh. <laughs> Uh, buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> buy more Ethereum. <laughs> yeah, same, same. same. Say that. Everyone, yeah, all like, across the board. Yeah. Don't don't listen to your editors and just just buy ETH. You know, <laughs> just market buy. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, last question on my end: If you weren't in crypto, what would you be doing uh, with your professional career? If it wasn't in crypto? Yeah, and, and if you weren't uh, writing either. So I'll, I'll make it a little bit harder for you. If it wasn't writing? Yeah. Ah, uh, that's tough. If I wasn't writing... Um, if I wasn't writing, I would... I would be... <laughs> uh, like, uh, I, I'd like to do something with travel. Like, maybe I'd, I'd be like... um. That this vlogger account they said writing. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> writing is so ingrained in Kevin yeah. that she can't like think of creation. I can't think of anything. She can't think of another that's career so path. Travel so content bad. creation. But that's yeah. how you know. That's how you know that you're in the right professional career, right? You literally yeah. could not think of another thing to, to do. Content. I need yeah. to be creating something. Yeah, and I don't know. Like maybe just like designing or like i don't know art like some art or some some creative some sort of like creative <laughs> creating thing. got it yeah um <laughs> uh, and where people where can people find you on social media um so twitter 
at Kanye Russo is the, the best place. Nice. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Cami. All right. Thank you, guys. This was fun. Thanks. See you around. I'll see you at the office. <laughs> yeah. See you soon. <laughs> Bye. Ciao. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching the latest episode of Flywheel Pod. That was Camilla Russo shining through, telling us everything you need to know about the Defiant, their standards, how they d- determine things as newsworthy, um, her thoughts on the space and the evolution of the space. I thought, you know, she's been on the ground since 2019 with when DeFi was open finance. And so her perspective about the whole evolution of the world on chain has been really interesting and special. Yeah, and I think her background also lends herself to that, right? Eight years at Bloomberg, she got to see all things in TradFi. Like she mentioned what she was in Forex, commodities, like all over the board. And yeah. then, you know, it's no wonder that she finds DeFi so attractive. And remember at the end yeah. when we asked her, what else would you be doing? Like she straight up could not think <laughs> of anything think of else anything. to be. So it feels like she's in the right role, sitting on the right seat on the bus. And, yeah. and I'm very excited to see where the Define goes from here, especially with I their hope- new product, their terminal product coming yeah. out too. Yeah. And I hope she writes another book. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed The Infinite Machine. I'd love to see a sequel just about DeFi. Dude, I have it on my bookshelf. I've yet to crack it open, but I just might this weekend. Yeah, that's the book I recommend to everyone, honestly, if they want to learn about Ethereum. It's just like infant machine. <laughs> but um, yeah, this was uh, this week's episode of Flywheel Pod. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. Hit that bell to subscribe for all the updates you need. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Flywheel Pod. Join our Telegram group at Flywheel Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And we'll see you next time. Peace.